Good morning, my name is Adam, and it is my pleasure to be with you. Gosh, you have such a great church, and it's been really cool to be um, around for the last couple of days at the worship conference and just getting to see and experience a little bit of what uh, is going on here. Um, of course, this may seem a little weird to you because, I mean, me and Pastor Dan are basically twins, um, obviously, um, but uh, I'll let you decide who's Arnold Schwarzenegger and who's Danny DeVito. Um, <laughs> uh, just leave that up to you. Um, but I, you know, I like to tell him he's, he's twice the man I am. So um, <clears throat> uh, I'm happy to be here. A, a little bit about me. Uh, I was born at an early age, and then some stuff happened, and then I made these people. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't make all of them. Uh, the one on the top right is my lovely wife, Hope, and pro tip, you shouldn't marry someone you make. Uh, that's not, that's not a, that's a, uh, amen. Okay, but these are... These are my awesome children. Uh, down there at the bottom right is my oldest girl, Alana, and then uh, Nora, and uh, that's Cole, and that is Wyatt, and they are my, my tribe, and I love them very much, and they're watching this live stream right now, so what's up, kids? Hi. Um, uh, and so it, it's, um, it's, it's great to be here with you all, though, and, uh, and I'm excited to unpack God's Word a little bit with you this morning. I thought... Um, since you're between series and hearing what you just did and knowing what you're about to do, we might tackle for the next few minutes together uh, a small topic uh, around basically who God is and the meaning of life. Can we get that done in the next few minutes? Feeling good about that? I will take that as a yes. So um, if you have a Bible, you may open it to John chapter 1. I hope when you open your Bible, you've got some, some places in it that are like well-worn paths. You know, places where you've walked a lot and you know them well. John 1 is one of my favorite passages of the scriptures. We're going to jump around in it a little bit. Uh, The text will be on the screens, of course. John 1, we'll read 1 through 5, and then 14 through 18, we'll pray and we'll get to work this morning on unpacking what it means for us to believe that God and who he is and what he's about, his mission, is the meaning of our lives. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We drop down to verse 14. We hear the word, the word by which all things were made. This word has a name. His name is Jesus. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory... Hang on to that word. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Down in 16, we pick up, for from his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. In more traditional churches, they will say, this is the word of the Lord. And the people will reply, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, please help us this morning to understand you, God, and uh, would, would you do something by the Holy Spirit now and awaken us to see how maybe the reason we get out of bed each morning isn't a good enough reason. Awaken us to see maybe the reason we show up in this building isn't, isn't a good enough reason. The reason that we show up to our job isn't a good enough reason. Would you elevate us in our eyes and our affections on You, help us today to see how you are the only sufficient reason for life and the only sufficient explanation for its meaning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but we come sort of preloaded, uh, thinking uh, what the Greeks would say teleologically, thinking with the ends in mind, thinking with that life, that getting out of bed, that swinging the hammer, that showing up to work and sitting in your cubicle, that raising the kids, that saving for retirement, that all the things that we do all have a purpose. And that's a good thing because they do. One of the challenging aspects of that realization, though, is that if we don't take a moment every so often and zoom out to 30,000 feet and remind ourselves what that purpose is, then we will get duped into believing that there is a better, lesser purpose. There's a better, lesser goal. Maybe for you, it's money. Maybe the reason that you do everything that you do is is for the sake of money. Maybe for others of you, it's relationships or to prove someone wrong or or you're, you're living your life out of a deformation of your soul or the exaltation of something that is good, but just not God. And this morning, what I would like to do for you as a a favor is to help you reimagine the meaning of life, the meaning of this church, the meaning of your job, the meaning of everything in looking at the meaning of our missionary God. If you're the type who likes a title for a message, you may title it thusly, Missionary God, which may seem odd to you because mission trips are typically when people leave their homes and go overseas and do things for other people. But as we will see in our big romp through the Bible we're going to take over the next few minutes is that that is exactly what God has done. That is exactly what God has done. Now, a little bit more on this purpose thing, though, because when we think about purpose, typically people, you know, in, in America, we, we're, we're all about purpose. I mean, still, one of the best-selling books in the world is Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. Great book. You should grab it because it's true. It would be really great if all of us who read it believed it. Um, then sermons like this would be redundant, and we could talk about something else. But frankly, we have a really hard time remembering that the, re- the meaning of our lives is the mission of God. And that's why we do things like spend like 14 to 17 billion dollars annually in self-help products and services. Did you know that we do that? It's an industry that's growing at a rate faster than the rising cost of college tuition and healthcare. Paying attention now? It's crazy, right? That's an insane amount of money. So, but, but you would think that if we spent that much money, All of that money, money that totals in its value to a number greater than the gross domestic product of the poorest 70 nations in the world, you'd think we'd be the model of mental health, right? You'd think we'd be happy. You'd think when somebody rolled up on our shores right here in the land of the free and the home of the brave, people would be like, this is a happy people. And that's basically how it's not, Um, right? Because otherwise, why would we go and keep buying these things uh, about how to make our lives better? And so, and I, and I know that it's not working because in the same period of time, the same last 10 years, uh, another number has risen. The number, the amount of psychotropic drugs we prescribe for ourselves has risen by 400%. So that now a little bit more than one out of every 10 of us pers- are prescribed medications to make the rain clouds go away. Listen, asterisk. Psychotropic drugs are very important and have a great use, but maybe one out of every nine and a half of us doesn't need them because nowhere else on the face of the planet is that the case. Maybe we're missing the meaning of life. Maybe the wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of men like St. Augustine who said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Maybe there's something to that truth. 
I will submit to you for your consideration that it is true, that the meaning of life is the mission of God, and the mission of God is the meaning of life. But before we can really understand that, maybe we should just understand a little bit about who God is, because whatever you believe about God, if that's messed up, then kind of everything else will be. Uh, my father is a developer, a builder, and, um, and I, I'm kind of handy, and, and so it, one of the things that becomes very obvious is when you're building something, if you mess that foundation up just a little by the third floor, the doors aren't closing. You know what I'm saying? And so, but, but some of us, this is how we are with our understanding of who God is. We misunderstand God. And so let's just jump back into the scriptures. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. One of the interesting things, Bible tip that's happening in John 1, is that John is retelling the creation story. Whenever you hear in the beginning, you, almost all of us can sort of refill you know, the rest of the, the verse. We're thinking, now we're thinking about beginnings. But let's take a minute and think about the moments prior to the beginning when it was just God. Some of us imagine that in those moments before God made stuff, God was like the abominable snowman from Looney Tunes. Do you remember him? Admit you remember him, so I don't feel bad. Do you remember him? Okay, good. Um, and, and so, you know, just the guy sitting at the top of a mountain, really lonely until Daffy comes up. Uh, oh, man, you, your children don't know who Daffy Duck is. This is what's wrong with America, everybody. It's okay, kids, just Google him or something. Uh, uh, depressive moment. Now I'm free. Okay, so... We imagine he's like the abominable snowman who's just sitting up there all lonely until, you know, someone comes along and like, oh, I made something. I'm going to love him and squeeze him and call him George. And the, God's not like that. God is really full. The Puritans use this word refulgent, like there's this full, overflowing happiness and joy. Theologians will call this idea the blessedness of God. Blessedness means happiness. Did you know that without you, God is fine? He's fine. He's more than fine. He's full. This is one of the beautiful inheritances of believing in the doctrine of the Trinity. God is both one and three. And before I ever was or the cosmos ever existed, God has been in a perfect love relationship with himself. And he is full and he lacks nothing because the meaning of God before you ever even enter the picture is the mission of the glorification of God. Now, glory, there's one of those Christian words we use a lot that we have no idea what it means. You, you know these words? If you're new at church, you know what I'm talking about. You sing songs about his glory, and you're like, I don't know what that means, but everyone's excited. Glory. And then someone says, well, what kind of season are you in? And you're like, autumn. And then they're like, no, 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 I mean like season. And you're like, another Christian word, I don't know. This is what we do to people. You know this, right? Okay, well, I live in a very unchurched city, and so if you come up to Boston and you say, I'm in a glorious season, everyone's going to be like, what? Um, <laughs> Glory is one of those words that basically it's a catch-all word for all of God's greatness experienced. All of his power, all of his might, all of his wisdom, all of his knowledge, all of his holiness, all of his goodness, all of his hisness. It's really hard to describe that, and so God gave us a word, this word glory, and it's got a handle on it so that we can carry around with us the concept of God's greatness. And before we ever talk about the world, let's just get this really, really clear that the mission of God for God is God. And that's actually really good news for you. Because that means when God made the world, he didn't make it out of loneliness and need like some codependent, needy ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. 
You been in this relationship? Some of you are in this relationship. Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you call, why didn't you call me? I need you to call me. Please call me. Don't leave me. I need you to call me. That's really unhealthy. Um, and for those of you, for those of you who aren't laughing, that's you. And you need, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there will be prayer at the end for you right up here. Um, God isn't like that. God isn't like that. God is full. And when he makes stuff, he makes stuff out of a place of fullness, not out of a place of lack. That's good news for you if we can just jump to the end for a minute because it's way better to be wanted than needed. It is such good news that God wants you and doesn't need you. It is such good news that God wants you in relationship with him but doesn't need you in relationship with him because when you show up, he's got all the goods, he's full, and we come to get You know the best way to glorify a pure spring of water? Drink. So, in the beginning, God makes everything, and, uh, and it was awesome. It was beautiful. God creates the cosmos, and it's not just because God is super into stars and stuff, but he makes it, makes this world, makes this space for humans to live in, and it's glorious. It's beautiful. He is the painter, and the universe is the canvas, and then he makes a world, and in that world, he plants a garden, which is sort of like a sanctuary where he lives, and he walks in the cool of the day, and then he makes people and in Genesis 1.28, we read this really interesting thing where he, he, ma- he pulls the people that he made aside and he says, listen, guys, guys, you see how I've been making stuff for the last few chapters? Just let you get it, okay? <laughs> now you go make stuff. Genesis 1.28 is sometimes called the dominion mandate or the creation mandate. Go, go do culture, go do family, go do art, go do science, go do medicine, go do politics, go do everything that you're going to go do and do it with me, for me, under me, for my glory because the mission of the world is the glory of God because the mission of God is the glory of God. And it was good for two chapters. All the chapters in the Bible, everybody, we kept it right for two. Self-high-five, right? Good job, humanity. The mission of creation, the mission, the purpose of every piece of the cosmos from the tiniest quark and lepton to the greatest galaxy you can find far, far away is the same as the mission of God, which is the glory of God, to speak forth and reflect back the greatness of who he is. Now, maybe that sounds very airy and unpractical, but as Chris Wright says, there is one God at work in the universe and in human history, and this God has a goal, a purpose, a mission that ultimately will be accomplished by the power of his word for the glory of his name. This is the mission of the biblical God. And God made a world where we were meant to be co-creators and co-rulers along with God. And that went great for a moment until we were deceived into thinking, actually, there's something better to live for. Actually, I could have what I want. Actually, maybe I could be autonomous. And man, if our enemy has ever told us a great lie, it was that one. Maybe I could be my own boss. Maybe I could be my own little God. And what's hilarious and tragic about that lie is that it's totally false because in believing it, not only do we not actually become our own gods, but we hand the keys to God's universe and the keys to our lives over to God's enemy and we become enslaved to him. There's no world where where you're your own God. There's just the world where you think you are. 
The scriptures say this, Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3 tell us that all of us at one time were under the rulership, the authority of the prince, the king, the ruler of this world, God's enemy. And at that moment, God did something absolutely crazy to me because I don't know about you, but when when I start a, a video game and it goes badly, I'm flying back now to when I was little, I pushed what all of you pushed who are at least 27 to 35, the reset button. For those of you who don't know what a reset button is, you can ask your grandparents. Uh, You can also ask them about pulling the cartridge out and going, (sighs) sticking it back in. Good times, everybody. (laughs) God didn't reset. God made a promise in the third chapter of Genesis to our first mother, that through her, he would change the world. And God set about something, a whole new phase of history. Not only do we see, therefore, that God, the mission of God is the glory of God for God, but the glory of God is the mission and the purpose of creation. But now it's his purpose in this thing called redemption, which occupies the biblical story from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. It's a big part of the deal. You're in it right now. And so God, by grace, saves, redeems, forgives, and promises to use them to change the world. And this is the way God always does it. God brings sinners into his plan to redeem the world. Maybe you don't believe me. Let's go three chapters to the right. And where we meet Noah. And as I was taught by my very well-meaning, auto-heart-playing, denim-skirt-wearing Sunday school teacher... God saved Noah because Noah is a nice guy. So be a nice guy or God will drown you. That was... (laughs) As you can tell, I don't particularly buy this interpretation. And the reason I don't buy it is because of the Bible. Um, We were told in, in Genesis 6 that everyone everywhere was only doing evil all the time, which is a very clunky way of saying, just so you understand, everyone everywhere is doing evil all the time. And then Noah bumps into this thing called grace or favor, and then he's declared to be righteous. So let's just get the pattern really clear. A a sinner who is everyone everywhere only doing evil all the time uh, bumps into God's grace, and now God not only rescues him, but uses him to figuratively rescue the world as he passes through the waters of God's judgment. Hmm. Ah, maybe it's just a fluke. Let's go six chapters to the right and meet Father Abraham. Now, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right hand, right? I I am so glad you laughed at that because no one in my church gets that joke. No one. I'm just raised pure pagan and they're like, who, why are you doing this? And it's just... It makes me feel so good to be able to share that laugh with you. All right. Abraham was raised in a town called Ur, which sounds like a place near where I grew up in southern Alabama. Um, Ur, where are you from? Ur, followed by um, But we know that Ur, we know from archaeological digs, that in Ur, the religion of the day was the worship of a moon goddess named Sin. Aside, I find that really ironic. Um, 
So Abraham was called by God at the age of 65. You know, he's about to start pulling out on that Roth IRA. He's a really rich guy, and he's a good church-going pagan. Not the kind of guy you'd expect to be the father of faith, right? But God comes to him, says, follow me, and I'm going to give you, you know, the whole world is your inheritance. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And he goes, okay. And then he does. He goes on a 1,500-mile walk with his dumb nephew Lot. It's a whole other sermon around the Fertile Crescent, and then God uses him to change the world. Through him, God makes the people of Israel. The whole point of the people of Israel was to be a nation, a light to the world, so that the whole world could come to them to know what he is like. So even the mission of Israel was the mission of God, which was to reflect to the world the glory of God, which also didn't go well. Some of you who've been around church for a while know that the exodus occurred. God saved Israel, not because they uh, deserved it, not because they had earned it, not because they were even good at following the law. They didn't even have the law. They were enslaved. God rescues them through mighty acts of deliverance. God takes them on a walk, makes them a new people, gives them a promised land, and then gives them the law. Do you get the pattern yet? And they fail. And they fail and they fail. And that's the story of God's people all throughout the world, all throughout the centuries, until God himself comes in the man Jesus Christ. And John 1 records the way God was going to remake the world through the coming of his son. And so the word is made flesh and dwells among us. And we see, what does John tell us? His glory. For the first time since the garden, God takes a walk in his world, and we get to see his glory. It gets a little bit unfurled. It gets a little bit expressed. We get to see in the eyes of Jesus Christ something of the face of God which Moses couldn't even handle, and we kill him for it, and he dies in our place for our sins and is in the grave for three days. But on the third day, he rose, conquering God's enemy, overthrowing the ruler of this world, the one to whom we were enslaved, the one who has power over this place. He overcomes him, kicks open the gates of hell, and walks out with a resurrected body, and then opens the gates of heaven so that all who trust in him might follow in his way to the new promised land, the kingdom of God, so that we might see with unveiled face God's, say it with me, glory. Why have I taken a moment to do this with you this morning? Because you might think for a minute that money is a good reason to live. You could possibly think, because this church is doing very well, that you've arrived. You might just mistake your momentary happy life for the reason you were made. And let me just make it abundantly clear to you. It is not the reason you were made. You are an insufficient explanation for you. Money is an insufficient explanation for waking up in the morning. And I know this because I know very wealthy people who don't know Jesus, and they get what they want, and they find that what they want wasn't actually what they wanted, and now what do I do? Maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe you have everything and you realize, I actually don't. Maybe some of you are just so bent on getting everything that you won't be happy until you do, and you've doomed yourself to a life of less than because you've made an unobtainable false deity the thing that you live for. 
the mission of life is the glory of God because the mission of God is the glory of God in everything God has ever done. And this is abundantly good news for you because now in the church, God is still calling messed up people like me to follow him, to know him, to see him, and to reflect him forth into the world. How might Midland change? How might this area of your state change? How might your neighborhood change, your cubicle change, your children change, your whole generational heritage change if you might just for a minute fall out of agreement with the American dream? Listen, I love our nation, but we are Americans best when we are not Americans first. We belong to Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. And if you confuse for a moment on that allegiance, you will mistake the mission of your life. We are coming into a time, and I know it because I live right there at its edge, where this is not the salt of the earth, the heartland anymore, where we will become increasingly strange to our culture. What a wonderful opportunity. What a wonderful opportunity to show with our lives and with our loves that we don't live for money or power, or fame, or the white picket fence, 2.3 children, and two nice new SUVs parked outside. That there's a greater meaning, purpose, and mission in our lives because we know the God who has a reason for his existence, which is the unveiling and unfurling and the reflecting and the refracting of the glory of his nature. What a way to live. What a reason to show up in the morning. What a reason to raise your children. What a reason to be wise with money. What a reason to do all that you do. Do you see? All of a sudden, it's happening for some of you right now. It's zooming out for just a second, and you're realizing, oh my gosh, all of this is by, for, and about God. Yes. And you, because you've trusted in Christ, if you have, you get to be a part of it. Now, some of you, you haven't, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that could change for you this morning. It could change for you this morning. You might for, for a moment. That's what repentance means. The word literally means to change your mind. To no longer agree that the reason that I live is for this. But now I live for the one who died for me. And was raised. So that I might find new, abundant, and everlasting life in him. The mission of God is the meaning of life, my friends, and the degree to which we don't believe that is the degree to which we will be useless. But as we embrace it, not only will you change and your family change and your church continue to grow and reach more people, but you will introduce them to not just a saving relationship with Jesus, but he will be as unto them the door to the meaning of life and the glory of God. Father, I pray for my friends this morning that as they come out of this place, as they come out of this house, as they, as they walk out of it, Lord, you would, would you help us to reimagine the reason that we get up in the morning? Would you help us to reimagine the reason that we get out of bed? Would you help us to reimagine for the glory of God and the good of all people our lives and, their, and the purpose of them? For the glory of your son, Jesus, amen.